we're, we're going to continue in worship. I want to spend some time just thanking God for what he's doing and ask him to inspire us through his word today. Pray with me if you would. Father God, today as we've come into your house to sing praises to you, the Holy One of Israel, the only one who can deliver the people of this world from their sin, I pray that today that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you're doing. I thank you so much for brothers and sisters who would go and serve, brothers and sisters who stay and serve, brothers and sisters who love no matter where they are, for revelation, for truth that's proclaimed in this world, that you have us right where you want us, that you reveal to us the things you want us to see, and you're changing our hearts. Oh God, that you would take these broken and calloused hearts from us and make them supple and lifelike. Fill them with your spirit. May you today inspire us to understand what your word says. We, we believe that you inspired brothers and sisters to write it and us to understand it. And so today, for your glory and for the good of your people, would you feed us fresh bread? May you be our proclamation and our joy. May we always surrender to you and give you praise and glory. May we be obedient to you as you call us into the mission field, wherever that is. God, give us eyes to see what you're doing in our lives. And we praise you now because you're the only one who can do it. We pray this prayer through Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. I'm going to read some from Second uh, Philippians 2, I should say. Um, and then we're going to kind of talk today. Our topic is work. And uh, it's kind of funny hearing the team come back from Honduras and the work that they did there and the work that God did in their hearts. But today we're going to read a little bit here from uh, Philippians 2, uh, just a few verses, 12 through 18, and then we're going to talk about the implications, perhaps, as God has revealed them. Verse 12, I'm just going to start reading. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of ours. If you don't have a Bible at home, take one of ours home and just keep it, you know. Um, if it's not the kind you want, talk to us. We'd love to get you a Bible that, you're, you know, you, you'll study and read. Um, I was talking to someone before service today, and I said the best kind of Bible to have is a red Bible. That means one that you read, right? So if you need one, let us know. We'd be pleased to buy one for you. Uh, 819 in our Bibles. Here we go. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not, all, not in my presence only, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaint or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you will shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I'll remind those of you who haven't been with us for the series that this is Paul writing to a church in, in Philippi. Philippi, which is a town that he was traveling through when he was on his missionary journey to share the gospel. And we know that when he was there, he, he found some women down by the river who were praying and he went and he preached the gospel and they believed and, and were baptized and filled with the Spirit. And, and this is Paul having moved on in his mission work, writing back to a church that he loves dearly. And you can hear here as he starts to articulate his great passion for the people in Philippi, his great love for them. And everything he's been talking about up to this point in the letter is about building them up to be a church, to be the people that God has called them to be. And, and I think that many times we don't see the high calling of following God like that together. The work that God has given us 
to do. And Paul today is writing to them, talking about this work. But I, the first thing, and we can't miss it, is he says, Dear friends, have you, have you obeyed? And now, um, in my presence, but also my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I don't know if you've heard that before or not, that, that quote. I've heard that mostly out of context. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And uh, that, that raised this question in my mind, what part of our salvation are we responsible for? Because if you've been coming here for a while, you know that I've been saying things to you like, like God saves us and, and we have no part in that salvation. And, and I know some of you come from a tradition where you've made a right decision or you've made your first communion or your parents baptized you when you're a baby and that there's some other way you're going to be saved, that some, some internal force in you was wise enough or born in the right place or had the right parents or the right lineage that somehow you were automatically in the kingdom of God. But the gospel does not proclaim that as truth. The gospel says that we were dead in our sins and Christ saved us. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ redeemed us. It says he externally reached into our broken, flawed, screwed up, and lifeless lives and breathed new life through his spirit. Called us to salvation in his son Jesus. Taught us the truth of scripture. Impassioned us, proclaimed the gospel. And these are all things that come from God, not from ourselves. And yet today we hear Paul writing to the church in Philippi and saying, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I want to share with you so you don't think I'm kind of being Henri to Paul or disingenuous when he says to work it out, because I don't want us to think that we have to somehow uh, learn salvation. In the letter to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul says this, because it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and that faith is not from yourself. It is a gift from God. It is not by works so that no one can boast. And, and so instantly, any, any clinging to our own righteousness, and Paul later in this letter is going to talk about clinging to our own righteousness as, as being antithetical to the way that God works, that we claim nothing but Christ himself as our salvation. And so here we see that Paul clearly teaches that, that it is not of ourselves, but a gift of God. And if we are saved by grace through faith, we ought to proclaim that truth to God and others. Never, never saying, if you were like me, you would know the gospel. You were saved. As a matter of fact, um, Jesus himself gives us the commission to go and share the good news. And so I want to share with you, Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says this, Go, make disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. But you see, the first thing that we have is belief in Christ. It's the first reality. So what does he mean then when he says, what, what part of salvation are we responsible for? We aren't. But I want you to see what Paul says here about salvation. He, it starts in the very first line of 12. He says, therefore, dear friends, as you have always obeyed. When Jesus said, go make disciples, he said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And now Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. Those who believe the gospel, those who've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I mean, immersed in the truth of the gospel, and yet now have, 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 are wandering a bit, have lost their way, need some correction or some encouragement. 
And he says, just like you've always obeyed, continue to obey. Continue to obey. Work out your salvation. See it there? Continue to work out your salvation through obedience. I love the stories we heard this morning here about God telling someone, calling someone to do something. And maybe even more profoundly, about God calling someone to not push their own agenda and wait for his timing. That's God-sized stuff. That's an act of faith to believe that God has better things planned for us than we have planned for ourselves. As you have always obeyed, the apostle Paul wrote, continue to work out your faith. And the truth is this, when we work out our faith through obedience, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, we believe we're saved by grace through faith, and yet when God says, now obey me and do this thing, that's a hard act in that moment. And there's an easy temptation to say, oh, I, I don't know if that's true or right, instead of just obeying what God has called you to do. What, by the way, I'm not talking about just listening for voices because that could be this is deceiving as anything. I'm talking about what his word calls us to do. Lay down our lives for someone else. Thinking of someone else as more important than us, as, as better than us. Not claiming our own righteousness, but claiming Christ above all things. Not being ashamed of the gospel. Finding in the gospel the very power for life. These all come from God's own hand. But we can live our lives in disobedience. I was recently talking to a, a friend of mine, a dear friend, and we were talking about the miseries of life. And I've told you this before, but I want you to hear this. God's Spirit is battling within you for righteousness, for holiness in your life and in my life. And I was talking to this dear friend of mine, and I said to him, man, there is no, no better way to be miserable than to be a believer who's disobeying God's commands. Because God won't have it. We were, we, and, and he affirmed that. He's like, right on, you know? Like, and this wasn't coming from a place of joy. Like, yeah, because we're obedient. It's because oh, we're disobedient. You find misery because you're not living in the will of God. I'm not talking about suffering. I'm talking about that kind of oppressive. It's, it's not the joy in spite of trials truth is that we're called to, to work out our salvation through obedience. And then, get this, and this is what Paul says, work out your faith with fear and trembling. <laughs> now, that's crazy, right? But fear and trembling, like the word fear means terror. And we live in a time of terror where we're afraid of everyone and everything. We're afraid of, of what our kids are watching or, or looking at on the internet. Or we're afraid of what the terrorists are doing in the Middle East. Or, or we're afraid of all these things. But are we afraid of God? Are we afraid of God? And, and I know that doesn't go what? But I mean, you know, in the, the author of Hebrews writes that it, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He says, to, to be put into the holiness of the God who made the universe is an overwhelming experience. And yet we live our lives more afraid of men 
women, others, then we are afraid of the holy God of the universe. Work out your faith with fear and trembling, quivering. I, I, I think it's funny because we don't like that because we go, oh, no, man, I know the gospel and Jesus is on my side, and that's right. But it ought to kind of make us quake a little bit. It ought to make us a little afraid, as a matter of fact, because he might ask things of you that you don't want to give up, and it might make you tremble a bit because you're not ready to give it up. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. I don't want this life. It's not what I had planned for myself. And Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Be ready for the holy God who has claimed you as his own. It's crazy. Paul says, be ready. And I'll remind you that Paul is writing to them as one who is in the midst of trials. And they're in the midst of trials. Work out your faith through obedience. And God, what, what part of our salvation are we responsible for? We're responsible not for our salvation. John Piper said a great thing. I was at this conference. Didn't mean a name drop there, by the way, but he's the one who said it. He said, salvation is guaranteed in Christ, but sanctification is not. You can be saved and miserable you, you can get into heaven as one who's barely escaping the flames. Or you can find your life in Christ. You can own it and believe it and live into it. Lean into Jesus. And you will find victory now and for eternity. Two different paths. Both for believers. We can lean into this part of our lives. Look at what he says next then. What, what, what is this all about? Verse 13, after the fear and trembling, why should we work it out? Because it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Because it's God in you. That's why you keep working it out. That's why you keep going back to the drawing board. That's why you keep examining every truth and every proclamation and making sure it's of God. That's why you should read your own Bibles so you're not misled or deceived. Because it's God who is working in you through his will and his work, it says, right? I love that because it means not only does God do the work of salvation in our lives, but he gives us the desire for it. He continually puts the taste in our mouth that we want him. More of Jesus. More of the gospel. More filling of the Holy Spirit. More proclamation of his word more carelessness about the things of this world and carefulness about the things of God. It's from him. It's his work in us. I'm convinced, brothers and sisters, that the battle is real. And he's the one that not only gives us our desires, but finishes our accomplishments. So that, that then leads us to this next place here. And this next question that we have is, um, how are we to work for, uh, for work in this life, Right? So, so if God is working the salvation and we can be obedient to his call in our lives, how are we to work? And Paul, Paul goes on to say here, do everything without complaining or arguing. Do everything without complaining or arguing. And I want to just sit on that for a minute because I don't know if you're like me, and I'm not just, you know, being preachery here. <laughs> I have a tendency to grumble, right? Um, I'll tell you a brief story. Uh, whenever I was a kid... My parents decided to install in the home they were building a wood-burning fireplace. Anybody have one of those growing up? 
Now everyone has gas. You just push the button, click, click, remote control, big flames, you know, romantic moment, turn it off when you're done, <laughs> right? That's why we have fireplaces, isn't it, parents, for romantic moments in the house? But for a kid, you know what that meant? Hours and hours at the wood pile, right? Making a man out of me, you know? Go out to the woodshed and split some of that wood. We had some crazy contraption. He was a welder by trade, and he had made his own wedges for wood. So it wasn't like the Paul Bunyan cool thing, double-headed axe that you could kill someone yourself with. He wouldn't trust me with that. But instead, he gave him this wedge, and it's like a 12 or 10-pound sludge. I couldn't even pick it up. And I would have to tap that sucker in there, and I was supposed to. Now, you know, I was like, what, 10 or 12? I was probably 15. Okay, I was a little guy. And I would sit there, and I'd be like, and the thing would fall over. The log would, you ever had that happen? The log falls over. Or just as you hit it, the thing shoots out the side. And then, of course, he would come out, and he was about where I am in my life right now with my kids. And he would say, let me see that. And he would go, pap, pap, Paul Bunyan. <laughs> you know what I mean? the wood explodes. He goes, this isn't even hard. And he goes back in the house. He flexes his muscles. He goes in the house. I swear that's true. He did that. Asked my mom. He was, you know, and I was just like, so what did it turn me into? Not a man, but a grumbler. I grumble on the way to the wood pile. You know good. That's the word grumble means like, it's like this word is kind of foams out of your mouth, you know, in the, it's just this, these words you, you say. Matter of fact, <laughs> I love this, right? It's a, it's um, a secret uh, displeasure. That, don't miss that, you know? It's the thing that you go, oh, I'll do it, but I'm not going to like it, <laughs> you know? And you go away and you're just kind of grumbling. Well, Paul says that is not how we're to do things. We should not do things with grumbling, right? Um, it's literally a secret debate. Uh, it's this false truth. It's this thing that we keep inside and we think if I speak the truth quietly to myself while I do this really awful task, um, it's the best of both worlds. The Bible actually says, speak the truth in love. Far better that you would go and say, I don't want to do that and not do it than to do it and grumble. Do you hear that? Far better that you would be honest with those in your lives who are asking you to do things that you think are awful for you and articulating why they're awful and then waiting for them to give you a response than to go and do things with grumbling. Paul says so. In, it doesn't mean, see, don't miss that. It doesn't mean you have to go do everything that everyone commands without any, you know. It means don't grumble about it. Own it. Explain, discuss, listen. Speak the truth in love, not grumbling. And then he says, do everything without arguing. Now, arguing is something in our culture that's become a high, a high um, a gift. We have classes where we teach people to argue well, right? We have like debate teams and stuff. We, we love to debate. This idea seems kind of foreign too to us, but here, here's the truth of it. It says, uh, it's this kind of a conversation that you begin with the intent to not have you or the person you're talking with change their positions. It's, it's, it's a kind of a conversation where you say, um, I'm going to say this and you're going to say that and you have it all lined out how it's going to go down and at the end. Everyone's going to listen and no one's going to have changed. He says, don't do that. Some of us, 
because we don't believe the gospel. We don't believe what the word of God says. Instead of speaking the truth in love and then listening, James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Instead of doing what the Bible says like that, we have false debates in our head. I'm not going to say this because then they're going to say that, and then I'm going to say this. Or we have a kind of a plan set up. Oh, I'm going to say this, and they're going to say that, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to win. But at the end of the day, you've lost because no one's changed. Paul says everything that we do, do it without grumbling and do it without debate or argument. But instead, and I would say instead, speak the truth in love. Instead, listen to your brother or sister. And here, I want to say something else. Instead, and this only comes in for those who believe the gospel. This only comes for those of you who, who believe that God has you right where he wants you. Instead of grumbling and disputing, start talking to God about what he's doing here. God, what is it about going to the woodpile that my stepfather thinks will make me a man? God, what is it about me being weak and unable that, that makes this a miserable task for me? God, what is it in, in, in my marriage or, or, or in my, my job? What is it about that coworker or my boss or that kid at school that I can't stand? And all of a sudden... These big things are between men. You, in, you include God in this conversation, and it becomes this bigger issue that you can get sorted out with him. I actually don't believe that the intention of the woodpile was to make me a grumbler. I was a grumbler because of my sin. I didn't hold fast to the word of God. Of course I didn't. But maybe you can. Or better yet, maybe I can now. Fight that tendency to grumble. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Now listen, 15, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. That you will become blameless and pure, children of God. There's a great message here, and I think it's one that all Christians should hear from one another all the time. The gospel isn't the end of everything for you. The moment you receive Christ as Savior isn't the final note in the song of your life, but it's the first song in a new song of life that God has for you so that you might become. Why should you obey God? So that I might become who I'm supposed to be in Christ. Why should I do it without arguing or grumbling? So I might become a child of God, holy and blameless. Listen to it again, so that you might become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you will shine like stars in the universe. This is Paul's language for the people of God when they're obedient. Beautiful, holy, blameless. And, and if you don't feel that way yet, I don't feel that way yet, we can become that way through obedience. Submission to Christ even when it doesn't always make sense. It's a beautiful word that we can become that way. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to be there yet, but we ought to be going there. And that's what Paul writes to the church in Philippi. Church, they love us so much so that you might become like children of God. I don't know if you want that in your life. I want that in my life. 
That's who I want to be. I don't want to be a grumbler. I, I don't want to be a disobedient child. I don't want to be like the crooked and depraved generation who does not love or appreciate God and all his goodness. How do we work? The first is a negative to not be grumblers and not be debaters. But the second thing he says is, hold to the word of life. Look at 16. As you hold out the word of life, as you cling to the word of life, and I believe this can be interpreted as everything it's supposed to be. The word of life can be the revelation of scripture to us, the truth of the gospel, the truth of every dot and tittle. It says in here, every little mark in the Bible, in the scripture, in the holy text. We can hold that out. We can cling to that. But it means Jesus, who this book is all about. Cling to him in your times of doubt. Cling to him in your struggles. Cling to him in your successes. Oh God, that you wouldn't deliver us into the promised land only that we would forget you. I don't want to go to heaven if Jesus ain't there because there's no heaven without Jesus. I'm convinced that sometimes our most earnest prayers are things we want the most in the world. I think the reason we don't get them is because if God were to give them to us, we wouldn't need him any longer. Why? He loves us too much to let us let go of him. Maybe that's your story today. Maybe. Holding fast to the word of God, the word of life. Remember, Hebrews says, it's a terrifying thing to be in the hands of a living God, not a dead God, not a God we have all the answers to, not a God we control, but one who is living in and through us, controlling our very desires. All oh, that we'd be obedient to that. Pay attention to him. Mark the things he says are important. Listen as he changes our hearts. Allow him to take us into lands that we don't understand because he's going before us. Paul says, if you do this, you will shine like stars in the sky among the people of this earth. That's a beautiful illustration of the people of God. And then Paul says this, if you will do these things, church in, in Philippi, if you will do these things, I will boast, look, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ, that's the day of judgment, that I did not run or labor for nothing. I mean, Paul's big desire for the church, because they've done a lot of good stuff, right? And he could be like, hey, look at all the good stuff you did. But he says, listen, if you don't finish with Jesus, if you don't cling to the word of life, if you don't continue to be obedient to him, if you don't live in the spirit of God, I will have run and given my life for nothing, for nothing. And I can tell you as an evangelist, that could be one of the most tragic things in his life. You think Paul didn't count the costs whenever he followed Jesus? You think it didn't matter to him that he had thrown off all his religious prominence and all his previous hopes for Christ himself on the cross? And so for him to look back at children who were con contemplating abandoning the, the gospel of Jesus, he says, no way. Cling to it so that I might boast on the day of Christ in you. I might celebrate that I ran for a purpose. And I don't know if you feel that way about your life. But I want to I ask this last question and we're going to wrap here. Are we wasting our lives? I mean, I've told you this before, right? You are giving your life away for something. And so am I. You are giving your life away for something. And the question is, are you wasting it or not? 
It's funny because Paul finishes this section with this verse. He says, But even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad. See what he does there? He says, if you cling to your faith, oh, how I'll rejoice on the day of Jesus. How I'll celebrate the day of judgment because you will have been fully sanctified in Christ. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering, you know what a drink offering is? Anybody know? It's a waste. Have you ever had very wise people say to you, Oh, what a waste. Oh, what a waste. Do you know how much good could have been done with that? Do you know what else we could have? Do you know how much difference you could have made? Oh, why are you wasting your life on this stuff? Why would you pour out your lives for these people? And Paul says, even if my life is a drink offering, pour it out for you. I will rejoice on the day of Christ Jesus. Why would Paul say that? Obedience. Obedience. Have you ever said that to God? Has God ever got you to a place where you say, I can't do any more? This is going to be a mess. But if you want me to pour myself out, if you want me to change all my plans, if you want me to surrender everything to your gospel, I will pour myself out like a drink offering for you till there's nothing left. Because that's where Paul was. And I believe that's where God calls us to be. You can't help but recognize in Paul the gospel of Jesus Christ one who would pour himself out for the nations, and one who would, those would mock and say, what a waste. The Son of God on a cross, what a waste. These people aren't even listening, what a waste. This new generation could care less about the gospel, what a waste. They're bored with you, God. They've heard the story of Jesus. They don't care about the Holy Spirit. You've wasted it on us. Jesus would say it's obedience please pray with me Father today for the gospel of Jesus for an outpouring that we do not deserve that we did not earn we didn't even ask for we give you thanks and praise and for my brothers and sisters here today who know your gospel I pray you would strengthen them for the work ahead. You would call them into holiness, glory for your name's sake. I pray, Father, for those here who believe that they bear their own sins, that they're going to find a way to the gospel without Jesus, that they would receive the drink offering, pour it out for them. That we would recognize in you the totality of all that we have, the totality of all that we are, and that we would surrender to you what remains. May you be glorified as we sing praise to your name. May you draw us into the eternal destiny for which we were born. And we'll give you praise and glory as we come to the gates. May you be glorified through your people. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ.
Amen.